welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, where we talk about how writing works, how writers work, and how the best writers risk being strange. And this is part two of my interview with Keith Cadieux. If you missed part one, you can go check the archives, check back to last week, where you'll see part one. And of course, the link to that is going to be in the description. And here is the second part of me talking to Keith. Uh, this is hosted by the University of Winnipeg, this discussion. And most of the, what I'm doing here is asking student questions, or you'll hear some students ask questions. Uh, so I really you know, want to thank Keith, thank the students, thank the University of Winnipeg. Let's dive right into part two of writing horror. Denise wants to talk about Junji Ito, uh, which Keith has, of course, read Junji Ito. Um, Denise, did you want to hop in and ask something specific or talk about something specific, or do you just want to hear what Keith has to say about Junji Ito? No, I just wanted to see like his thoughts about Junji Ito. That's um, and that was just it, and like what he thought about him. Uh, he's awesome. <laughs> I, I really like Junji Ito. Um, Uzumaki was really excellent that Jonathan turned me on to him uh, and that was that was the first one I read and I, I really really liked uh, that story like there's something about that book where the idea first of all the idea itself is so bonkers it's so odd um, but then like where it is really his, his sort of particular genius and like the, the way the artwork really enhances creepiness of what's going on is is the number of ways that he managed to weave spirals into it and make them scary so like so for those who don't know uh, Junji Ito or Uzumaki this this is a, a manga that centers around a town that is essentially haunted by spirals um, people become obsessed with spirals they turn into spirals there are spiral things that inhabit and, and destroy the town and it's it's really fascinating and it's it's something where like if you just see it on paper it's like ha town haunted by spirals so like, i i don't get it like you have to see it and so like the the artwork of it is really fantastic and 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 very creepy like his his style is so so unique and very unsettling in in itself and uh he also has like he i don't I'm not super well versed in manga, so I don't know how common it is to have like short manga collection, like essentially a short story collection that is in this form. But his his shorter stories, like his shorter little bits. So there's a collection called Shiver, which has like a number of really just like shorter, like comic book length stories, and those are all really fascinating too. And uh, he has, yeah, just really great um, ideas that really stick with you, and they're they're all very weird um and bizarre so uh like yeah there's the one where people turn into giant balloons uh that haunt the town and like again like that shouldn't work on pay when you just hear it it's, it doesn't sound very scary but the actual story of it really is um there's one with uh, a model that is uh 
they all think is really ugly, but they get obsessed with this particular model and track her down and try to put her in a movie. And that one's really fascinating too. Um, so yeah, I am definitely a, big, a fan of Junji Ito. Um, he's great. Everyone should look up uh, his stuff. Also, Denise, if you don't know, uh, if you don't already know his work, you should check out Hideshi Hino. Uh, who is one of the big influences on Junji Ito, Hideshi, you know, just a bunch of questions just kind of related to your really craft specific, but let me just first kind of maybe run through a couple of the ones related to kind of the state of horror in your opinion. Um, when you look at the horror, Reina's wondering when you look at horror that's come out recently, do you think it's stayed, you know, true to the genre for the most part, or do you think there's been a lot of innovation or repetitiveness? Like where do you kind of feel the state of horror is these days in a sense is the question. Um, I think there's a little bit of both. I think there's, there's definitely a lot of repetitiveness. Like, I guess, should we deal with like horror, horror fiction or horror film? And so like they are sort of, they feed into each other in interesting ways. So horror film is, there's still definitely innovation out there, but now that there's been these grand successes, now the copycats are coming coming about and so there's a lot of repetitiveness in horror film at the moment um but there are there is still innovation happening in there um just connected which, that which is, sandy wants to talk about jordan peele i don't know if you want to dive in there sandy uh, as well to kind of throw in on horror film and jordan um yeah i was just wondering if you uh if you watched john peele's uh, uh both the movies and uh just you know as uh yeah like what do you think about his uh writing and i just want to add this uh while i have the chance uh, i have you ever thought of getting into script writing or screenwriting uh with your background yeah um yeah i i definitely would i would add, i would jump at the chance to do screenwriting it's i don't have very much experience in it i did write for a true crime show very very briefly i, I wrote a script um for like this this very very low budget um just like true crime like uh, um video magazine type show like a, a cheap version of 60 minutes kind of thing um so i've got one script under my belt and it it pays really well to screen so <laughs> so yeah i would i would absolutely jump a jump at the chance to do it but um i haven't done it as of yet so i'm still quite inexperienced and I haven't quite stumbled on an idea that would only work as a movie. I think that's going to be where I really fall into 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 just jumping the gun and, and doing it. Will be like I'll have an idea and I can't make it work as a book. I'll have to make a script. Um, hasn't happened yet, but I hope like that would be great. I would love to. Um, Jordan, I have absolutely seen uh, Get Out and Us. I really like both of them. I'm also a really big fan of Keen Peel. Um, and I think if you, after, especially after watching his horror movies, if you go back and watch Keen Peel, there is this undertone of a lot of the same horror themes that he wants to deal with that is, is embedded in a lot of these sketch, sketches, especially uh, the, the, where they really poke fun at, at racism and police. Like you can definitely see the bones of Get Out in a couple of, of their older sketches. Um, of, of the two, I like I really I like Get Out the most. I really think that one is just really really fascinating, and it's not it, it's not an idea I've had myself, but I've read quite a bit quite a lot about it because I 
really like it. You know, that's, when you like something, you tend to absorb as much about it as you can. And something that I think holds true that I've read about it a lot is that it's one of the only horror movies that that centers a black character's exist, uh, experience rather than imagining a black character's experience through the white lens. Um, that there's, it's certainly not the first movie that's dealt with black characters, but it tends to be made for a white audience. And so there's this work done to make sure that a white viewer understands the plight or like there's this little bit of like, okay, now you're gonna imagine what it's like to be black and what, what racism really is. Uh, and Get Out didn't really do that. And it just, it just puts you in this, in this space with um, Daniel Kaluuya's character where you're just, there's no handholding. You're just expected to identify with his experience and what's happening. And it worked, like it didn't need it didn't need to bring anybody up to speed. Like the story just functions on its own. And and there's these really great subtle digs all the way through it where um, like he, he kills the one character with the, the buck head, like the, the stag head and where black men were often called bucks. And when he's tied to the chair, he starts, he picks the cotton out of it. Um, there, it, it it really, really rewards watching it very, very closely. And I love that about it. I think that's really fascinating. And um, yeah, the, the, the central metaphor of, of old white people inhabiting black bodies uh, to continue to survive is this fantastic, like it, most horror stories have this metaphorical um, connection somewhere in there. And Get Outs is just really strong and really vivid. Um, yeah, I, I love that movie. And it's also very funny, which, you know, helps break the tension because it's really heady. Like it's, it's very heavy stuff, um, but you're able to get through it because it's also weirdly hilarious. <laughs> kind of tied to this is Tanner's question about what do you think about the crafting monsters in modern TV movies and games? And this probably links back a little bit to Raina's you know, question about what do you think the state of horror is sort of at the moment? Um, yeah, de definitely a Lovecraft fan. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not sure when I, like, I guess I was pretty young when I first read Cthulhu. The Call of Cthulhu was the first Lovecraft story I, I tried. And I had gotten to, to Lovecraft by way of Stephen King, who mentioned them a lot, and Metallica which has their song Call of Cthulhu where they spell it wrong for some unknown reason. <laughs> um, but that was like, because I had heard of him through other avenues, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go back and, and look at what this Lovecraft guy is. Um, and I still really like his monsters. And I think his take on the monsters is still the best. Um, that what, what we're seeing is people who also really enjoy the mythos and want to expand it or want to like pull Cthulhu into other other situations or something like that and I, I still think his the, the like the call of Cthulhu is the best story with Cthulhu in it um, and he's sort of not in it really but um, I, I think yeah there's definitely interesting stuff in there at the mountains of madness is still really interesting too and that's sort of an interesting intertextual thing because now everybody there's lots of writers 
writing into the Cthulhu, into Lovecraft mythos, and but the, at the Mountains of Madness, delves in is uh, borrowing a universe from Edgar Allan Poe, that uh, that the 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 creatures that there's this particular sound that they say um and that's taken directly from um the manuscript found in a bottle or i can't remember if that's the exact title but it's a post story he's he's dealing with a post story right off um so i think that's interesting that he started out by um by conversing by working with uh someone else's creation and now we're seeing the same thing with with lovecraft that um his biggest uh endurance is that people are using those ideas and the like the the bevy of monsters or or even just like the way he approaches certain um tropes of horror like a lot of his his go-to's have become horror tropes so like the the narrator who goes mad and you know, cults and everything like that that's really been turned into like a full-on mainstream cliche um but we're getting interested like i i like that we're we're sort of beyond copycatting at this point and there are people who are expanding and making like going different places with uh with lovecraftian ideas and so one who i i really like and this this would be like sort of another like um alongside similar um boxes that jordan peele checks is uh victor laval um who's a horror writer and uh he had a novella come out called the ballad of black tom which is a rewriting of the haunting of red hook uh, which is a lovecraft story and uh lovecraft country also which is a show that was a novel first but it's sort of overtly trying to deal with the fact that lovecraft is really really racist and um sort of using racism as as one of Lovecraft's biggest monsters. Um, so uh, The Ballad of Black Tom and Lovecraft Country sort of both deal with going into white dominated areas where there is some sort of cult influence or some sort of dark influence in there and it's very, very dangerous. Um, but it is like, it's it's a full-on monster cult, but, but it's all like the white sheriffs and the, the corrupt police departments and everything are all part of these, these cults. Um, so that's something where, where Lovecraft is sort of being expanded on. Um, and like I say, I do, I do love Cthulhu. I think he's a little too like ever present. Um, he's not scary anymore. Um, you can get plush Cthulhu. South Park, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plush and so like the familiarity has taken the scariness away and like what 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 was what made Lovecraft stand out was that there was not not really anything else like that when when his stories came out like no one else was kind of really delving into that kind of dark imagination of like that kind of creature or of, of entity and, and now people have and so we like the need is to push beyond because we get the idea of the big underwater monster like that doesn't really unsettle us anymore um but like again another idea where someone has expanded that kind of idea is uh the game bloodborne which is very very lovecraftian and um if, if there are any gamers 
here and you guys haven't played it uh, you gotta try bloodborne um because that is like it's it's a hugely lovecraftian story but also sort of solves lovecraft's biggest um macguffin or like uh that he often writes they're, they're almost all first person stories lovecraft's stories uh so they're the, the narrator is telling what happened but the whole point of the story is that the narrator went insane or the knowledge is so forbidden that no one should have it but he wrote it down and here it is so <laughs> there's like this central conflict that doesn't make sense um and and like that sort of saps the fun out of the whole story but uh bloodborne fixes that problem because you as the player you have to put it together um and it's really hard to piece together the background story of like what is actually going on in this town and so you like you don't have to you can just play the bosses it's really gory um and it, like looks really neat you can just plow through it and not have any idea what's going on uh but if you really dig and pay attention and like there's a lot of environmental storytelling of, like when you go into certain buildings like do you understand what this building is and when you look around and like you can piece together what has happened and so like the the story within bloodborne is really fascinating and it's essentially about um a lovecraftian monster and two different cult factions that have veered off uh, and one is obsessed with the blood of the monster and the other side is obsessed with um, the science of it and discovering from like where in space is it from and so like it's it's a church and a college and they have devolved into like these crazy extremes but getting to that like figuring out that that's the actual premise of the story is, is quite difficult and it means the player has to do that big deep dive rather than have somebody sit you down and be like, I shouldn't share this with you, but here's all the information. <laughs> so I, I think that's a really fascinating way to, to delve into a story like that. Let's get into a couple of the writing specific or craft questions. So like Lillian asked, uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to write about horror for the first time? Just a broad question there, but a broad kind of craft question about how to approach horror as a writer for the first time. Um, yeah it it just in terms like very very basically um i would sort of wonder like if it's like a particular idea that you think is is horror and you're gonna explore it as a horror idea it, my first thing to be, would be to like examine why you think it's scary um and i think that's where you'll break out a story out of it is like why in particular is this idea scary and then that's where, where you'll get your imagery and your uh your themes where you'll get your character conflict is is like what is scary about this particular thing um because that's what you should be emphasizing in terms of like where you're taking your story where you're making it into art like they, sh they should be connected um if you know if you're really worried about like if you use the wrong monster then it, then it won't really work right like you can't use a vampire when it's you know the leg is like a ghost or i don't know i'm not coming up with a good example but if you use the wrong monster it won't work <laughs> so if, if you've got a particular idea in mind i would say like the first thing to really delve into is is why is that particular idea scary and that, that's where your story is going to come from um, in terms of wanting to just like you don't have a particular story you want to do horror 
like that would be be similar like what what itch are you trying to scratch by by going into like using a horror mode and so even if you don't have a particular idea in mind you must feel like you want to tell a scary story like there's there's that desire and so like examining well, well why 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 is that where you want to go um and these like you won't necessarily come up with like oh here's my paragraph um but it's something to ex examine in terms of like why are you having that feeling and what what is going to satisfy that that desire and again that's probably where your story is going to come from is when you're you're diving and thinking big about big ideas like that we tend to you'll come up with something smaller that sort of exemplifies what you're feeling in, in terms of like a larger core idea like why do you want to tell a horror story rice is wondering uh, if you ever had a really bad case of writer's block and if so how you overcame it I'm sort of in the middle of one right now <laughs> that uh, the the pandemic has ruined my productivity um, that I just I find it's been it's been very stressful and so uh, uh, something Jonathan knows but uh, I have an existing uh, lung disease so I'm very very high risk so I have essentially been under house arrest since March 2020. Um, I've taken the dog for a walk. <laughs> I, have, I have made like two or three ventures into a store, but I've mostly been home for, for a very long time. And before the pandemic, I was like, God, I just want to sit at home. Like, why do I have to keep going to work and doing all these stupid things? And then I got it and it blew up in my face. It's ruined it. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's something where I, I find that sort of stress has has ruined has really given me uh, a writer's block um it's getting better it is getting better now i'm sort of coming out of it by um being more aware of like what about the situation is is stressful to me so i try to structure my day a little bit more carefully so like when i wake up i sit and read um read quietly it's nice enough to like do that outside which is kind of nice um, I take my dog for, for walks to like get up and go be somewhere else. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to, um, I, I had like a goal of like, I was going to watch something scary or something uh, that I find inspirational every day. So I would watch a scary movie or I'd restart shows that I, I, I really like. So um, I've rewatched Hannibal, which I really liked, uh, True Detective, um, all these other these other things that like the ideas in there sort of get me thinking I was like I want to write something like this and so I've been trying to gravitate to stuff like that lately to try to get back into a space where I want to be creative and it's it's working it's just it's sort of baby steps so I'm definitely coming out of a writer's block area um the, the best advice I could give for that really is to, uh, if you find yourself in, in a spot where it's just not working is uh, what's actually been helpful to, to me is to just give yourself a break. Just be like, you know what, it's not gonna happen right now. Um, and some, cause sometimes the stress of feeling like you're wasting time or feeling unaccomplished is just making it worse. And it's, it's just piling on what's what's blocking your creativity so like i found like especially at the start of the pandemic where i really want i was really putting pressure on myself to be productive that i found myself like i wouldn't even go near my computer like i was just the idea of sitting down in front of it made me anxious 
So I like I needed to sort of just be like, you know what? It's not there right now. And expecting myself to just snap out of it is, is making it worse. So I'm, I'm going to let myself have a fallow period, right? Of just, I'm not going to produce right now. And so now I'm sort of on the other end of that where <clears throat> the desire to be productive is coming back rather than the anxiousness of not being productive. Um, uh, the writing teacher in me Forcing will, it is no good. So <laughs> The writing teacher in me will, 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 will agree with that, but also give kind of alternate advice. Whereas forcing it is no good. I really recommend when people are, have writer's block that they do sit, they, they maintain a writing schedule, but just retype horror authors, like authors they like. So you sit down, you perform the activity of writing uh, and you kind of stay in practice and on, in a sense, but you, you eliminate the need to produce anything of your own. Uh, but instead just go through the motions of retyping, you know, say Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, I've, I find that that really um, helps people because often what they get into with the writer's block is they start to pile on top of their problem uh the idea that they must remove their problem uh, and as you say it becomes an increasingly anxious situation to sit down at the desk or, or whatever however you know fundamentally you can't solve the problem without sitting down at the desk so i find is that it becomes a bigger and bigger hurdle to get uh back in front of the computer in a, in, in a writing sense and if you just instead remove the like kind of in a sense mentally walk away from the desk but actually stay there uh and so you don't have to actually write anything but you have to retype you know something you you enjoy um, i find that tends to get people uh very quickly relatively speaking into a space where they just you know leave off doing that and, and get their type their own idea you know they, they come up with something they want to write instead of retyping shirley jackson much faster so you know I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, but I, I would sort of suggest people maybe try to focus on the uh, mental side of it while keeping the kind of physical activity of staying at the desk intact, at least as a sort of, I've seen that work with people um, sometimes faster is all, but it's the same thing. It's just, it has a different quality in, in some respects. Yeah, I, I do like that because then you keep you keep the muscle memory of it, which also yeah. becomes, becomes important. Kind of connected in here, just with craft, is like Ramanpreet wants to know after writing a story, who do you ask to read it first? You know, or do you just read it yourself first? And how do you get to the point, kind of where it's a story that can be published? Like, so sort of a question about the editing and feedback process, in a sense. Yeah. So um, I tend to like. I tend to want someone else to look at, like if I get a draft all the way through to the end, um, I'll tend to want somebody else to take a look at it before I, I really want to do another big edit or a big pass over it. So I'll tend to like spit it out. And then I, I do have a writer's group um, that I meet with regularly. So I'll give it to them and just, I'll have the caveat of like, this is garbage. I just spat it out its first draft, but tell me what works. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do. I do have other other readers. I have other. So my writers group too is not. Um, the other writers are not necessarily horror focused. Um, so that's sort of a good lens in terms of uh, does it work 
for non a non horror audience. Um, so like that's sort of my goal too is uh, I my my first people who like I would really like just people who like horror to like it. Um, but it would be nice if people who don't like horror also get something out of it too. Right? It still sort of functions if that's not your wheelhouse. Um, but then again, I do have beta readers who are like the hardcore horror junkies. So it definitely goes to them as well uh, to take a look at it. So um, finding people who whose opinions you trust is is good. So, so like I said, I've got like two different lenses of like straight up, like just straight literary audience horror focused audience. Um, there are people who I, I know they're writing, so I know they're good. <laughs> um, but also their their ability to give advice. I trust their advice if, if they're finding something um, that doesn't work or that doesn't work like that they don't like, things they do like. Um, yeah, and that, that's just something that sort of comes with time. Like I've had multiple writers groups and this this is the one that has lasted the longest with this core group has stayed together for a long time. Whereas other times there's been like larger groups and people sort of hive off or, or disappear over time. This is like multiple years going. So that's just sort of been whittled down. Um, so it's a good group, I'm gonna keep it. Um, but then also like with workshopping and, and giving, um, taking advice from other people is, is knowing what advice not to take. So like that that is again, just a learned skill that that sometimes the feedback I get doesn't jive with what I know about the story or what I want the story to do. So that that comes from just a little bit of you know self-confidence and and uh, you know a little bit of self-centered conceitedness that we're in, like you do if you're a writer you do have to have that little bit of like no 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 I'm right you listen. <laughs> um, so it's like it's good to listen to everybody else but there is a sense where you have to have the confidence that what you're what you're telling is worth telling roman um, pete preet is also sort of along these lines asking what uh how you kind of prepare for feedback particularly like whether it's negative or positive feedback and how do you like take that feedback and use it that um it tends to be with does does the feedback get me closer to my ideal of what I want the story to be or does it get it does it get further away so if 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 I'm trying to like let's just imagine like I'm trying to instill a particular dread or I want people to walk away like this this scene has to be a button cap on on whatever like this is where like the big scare happens or something um if the feedback I get actually works like you, you should be able to tell fairly easily especially if you know what you're trying to do with your story um you'll be able to look at feedback like that and say yes that like that's better that that will get me closer to my goal um and if it doesn't get you closer to your goal then that's the kind of you know like you can still look at that feedback and like there still might be something to it but but you're what you're working towards is your goal for the story and so you sort of take the advice that gets you closer to that and if it's not getting you closer to that then it's not necessarily the right advice for what you're doing and so like that's where it becomes uh difficult to and where you have like trusting your beta readers in, in that if your beta readers are likely other writers if they're not great and if, like if you have readers who are just such good fine-tuned readers that they can pick stuff out then use those because that's still like a really good audience but usually 
the advice you get from beta readers is because they are also writers. They're also storytellers. So they've got their own tips and tricks and like they've, they've solved their own narrative problems. So they, they may have a way out of something you've, you've built for yourself. Um, but the whole point of your story is that you are the one telling your story. And if you gave them the exact same idea, their story would be different. And sometimes you can get good practical stuff out of that and and make your story better but if the if the advice is taking you away from what you want your story to be then you don't have to use it right like the whole the whole thing is like is it getting is it making your story and your vision for your story is it getting better and that that's how you weigh which advice to take and which to leave to leave aside Let's uh, rapid fire through the last kind of seven questions here before I let you go, Keith. From Anna Lua, is how, how long roughly does it take from like the idea to a finished story for you? It varies, varies a lot. Um, so I've had stories that have taken years to, to finish that I've just, I haven't been like aggressively working on them for years at a time, but I'll, I'll tend to leave them alone for a while and, and come back. Uh, but they, they may take like, I think the longest one. Uh, so like, well, and, and then there's like from finished to printed is, is different. It's like Signal Decay first drafted that was probably five years ago. Um, and it just came out. So, <laughs> um, but I've had other ones where I have gone from like the initial idea to finishing it within a week um so it it really varies on what the idea is and like some of them just feel more um feel more intense and feel more um like current like i've got to get it out now because it, it's so specific to whatever has has happened right and then sure. once you're out of that moment your sort of your chance to improve that story is gone um so i have yeah i do have finished stories that i have spat out very very fast and that even if i go to look at them now and like do they need an edit like i don't really change like i don't change very much and so that's sort of like there i saw in the chat there was a question of like when when do i know that i'm done Mm -hmm. Um, that would be like when I get to the point in the story where I'm just sort of nitpicking dumb stuff where I'm like, I'm moving this comma over there. Um, I'm, I am, you know, slightly altering this sentence, but it means the same thing. I'm just changing. Them. So I'm just fussing with things that aren't actually making any big changes. I'm not refining the story. I'm not cutting anything big out. I'm not settling on images or, or metaphors anymore. It's just tinkering around um that's when i'm like okay like i have like sure i'm at the point now where like the more i play with it the worse it's gonna get okay well let's just lightning round a couple of things here to uh who, who is your who are your favorite characters in horror stories from kiet yeah that sort of i think depends on the story um i uh Especially like even from when I was a little kid, I tended I liked villains more than heroes. So I was big into like Shredder and <laughs> Venom. Um, uh, so like something like that would would be in the uh, the Hannibal Lecter books. Definitely Hannibal Lecter is the most interesting character in all of those books. Um, and then in the, they made a whole show over about him. But uh, there are different 
stories too, like where, like the haunting of Hill House, where um, the the main character is is not a villain, but she is the most. So yeah, it depends. Like it depends on very much depends on the story. So. Um, Who's the greatest author of horror stories, in your opinion? I guess, like the one I've I've sort of said is my favorite author for like the longest is as uh, Shirley Jackson. She's she's lasted the longest and and risen to the the top of the pile the most. So like that sort of change. Like I think everybody has uh, your favorite author might might fluctuate. It might change here and there. But um, she's. Uh, on average, at the top, the most. So. Sure. Uh, Analua also is wondering: Has there ever been a time in your career, your writing career, when you felt like you wanted to quit? So, so like I was saying, I'm, I am sort of in a writer's block period now, so I haven't been productive, which has certainly been frustrating. And especially if you like a big part of your identity, you tell people you're a writer and you're not writing. Well, that's no fun. So, um, so I've sort of been in the midst of that where. I have felt like I've sort of temporarily quit, but I still want to go back to it. Like I've always sort of had the desire, like even if I'm not doing it right now, um, I, I I always have it in my head that I, I will get back to that. Like I won't stop completely. I've never, I've never been like, I don't want to do this anymore ever. Um, but I have certainly had times where like, I can't do this right now. I don't want to. And it's something too where, in terms of like, it's really not paying all my bills. So it's it's not my full-time job. So it is always, it's always been sort of an on the side thing. Um, so in terms of like, it's not like quitting a job because it's never been my job. Um, so I think that is a, like a little bit of a, of a different impulse. I've, it's sort of always been, um, it's like having a homework for your entire life. You just all- <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's always there. Like I've always sort of wanted to get back to it even when uh, I'm not producing at the time. So this is like probably the longest where I haven't really done anything where it's been like over a year that I haven't been producing, but always in there somewhere is I, I want to get back to it at, at yeah. some point. Even now in there, you published it. a book too, right? So, you know, there is like sort of the way in which you're still engaged in it in that respect even if you're yeah, there's that. doing so, like, a lot of writing on day to day. Yeah, but something Ro- was still happening. Rajlin is asking just sort of, you know, an interesting question of like, what, what unsolved murder fascinates you the most? <laughs> so um, whew, there's a lot. Um, actually, one I just, I only just discovered recently. Um, so I'm also a big podcast listener. So um true crime podcasts uh stuff you should know is really good if no one's ever listened to that and surprisingly stuff you should know has really good murder ones every now and then like they also have ones like how the muppets work um and then they the one i just listened to was um the cleveland torso murders which was really fascinating um and there's there's a serial killer in the 30s uh like during the great depression in one of the chicago slums um that they just kept pulling all these torsos out of out of a river out of the river there um it was never really solved and uh there's there's a graphic novel on it called torso and uh it was apparently going to be david fincher's next movie after zodiac 
but it all it all fell apart um which leads me into another another great unsolved murder because the zodiac one is really interesting too um so the the torso murders is like a new one that i've just discovered which is really interesting the zodiac killer is really interesting and the film zodiac is really really good if no one's seen that and that that's one that's like horror adjacent it's like it's fully realistic like it's it's a it's a realist movie but it does have this sort of unsettling unsettling feeling to it like if it, it feels like a horror movie and like because of the mystery of never being able to get at who the zodiac is like that is just a it's a really well done dread inducing movie um the um, Velisca axe murders are really it's a good like deep dive where, and lots of podcasts about that. Um, that that Russian one. Oh no, I can't remember the name of it. The the Dyatlov Pass incident. That one's really cool. That's not really a murder though. That's just a really weird unsolved happening. But that's I have a lot of those too. That, that's a, good, <laughs> a long list we could dive down. Navdeep is wondering if you still remember your first story that you wrote and just sort of some of the big differences you see and like how you what you did and how you managed to improve. So that's a big question, but maybe you can give the short kind of version of that. <laughs> so yeah, my, my first real attempt was was a ripoff of, of Spawn. And I used to want to do comic books too. So I had like a lot of comic book ripoff ideas. Um, and so I guess like that was where I noticed a big change um, was when I stopped just ripping off stuff I liked and was actually coming up with something that I thought I don't think this I, I don't think I've seen exactly this before. Whereas, like when I was first starting out, I was I was really just regurgitating things that I really liked, um, and not not adding to them either. Like they were just it was the same idea, um, and that was I I think um, from doing like creative writing classes was the biggest was the biggest leap um, for me, and that was actually. Be like getting to work, getting to workshop with other people who are working on stuff, and um, yeah, that that was where I noticed the biggest difference was when I actually started sharing with other other writers and going back and forth with with that feedback um, was really helpful because even solving other people's story problems will help you solve your story problems, and so that's also been usually the biggest thing that gets me out of like getting back into product productivity is um, looking at other people's stuff and helping them sort of break their own stories. And, and like, that's always, I find very helpful to me. And then it's, it sort of gives, you know, a positive enough feeling to go back and solve those problems yourself. Octavian is wondering if you think there's a kind of best format for horror stories, like Poe said, the short story was the best format. Do you think it's, you know, film, novels, short stories, or, or are you kind of agnostic on the question of which is the best or or do you think one of them does stand above the others? I think that's, again, like it depends on the particular story. Um, like there are some that work best as one format. And like, so that that is sort of a case by case basis. Um, there are certainly what, formats that do work better. Um, so you'll definitely see more excellent examples in one form but there will still be ones in other in other like less likely forms that that still manage to do it. Um, but in terms of uh, perhaps like the most effective, I think is is the short story, and probably the first person short story 
is the most basically effective for a horror story. And that's why there's just so many. Um, and it's not necessarily that they're derivative. It just, it works really well. Like, you know, it's like the same way, like a, a cliche is a cliche for a reason. It functions, like it, it does work. Um, so a first person short story is usually like the, the basic formula like that, that will probably work. Um, but there are certainly stories that pull off like, and, and then it, like Poe's thing with the short story, but the whole thing being one sitting. And so in terms of like a payoff of dread, then yeah, like the one, the one sitting thing holds pretty true. So, uh, and that's why like a movie works really well also. Um, that is essentially the same thing. It's a single sitting, you get all the way through it um, and it works really, really well. But there are ways to use like the longer structure or the way other, other formats might break up the story in order to enhance it. So like we talked about House of Leaves, where part of the tension comes from how physically difficult it is to deal with that book. And that plays into the tension that the story is giving you. Um, a, a particular show that is like 10 episodes long can make really effective use of where they break that story apart so that when you come back to it with this known knowledge, um, it, it rams more tension into a smaller space, but you need those other you need those other episodes, but it's it's the break in the story that allows you to absorb everything that's happening. And so, like, there's there's examples for everything. Like, any format can work depending on what the story is and what best enhances the scary part of the story. But in terms of like, if you want like the one that is the easiest, first person short story is probably the <laughs> the easiest place to start. Chat that answers chances kind of question which is you know what type of narration do you think works the best in the horror story um so just last question quick from chance also is you know what'd you think of bird box was i that? didn't like bird box yeah uh, i read the book i haven't seen the movie i didn't like the book um but i do think the concept works better as a book than a movie like I said, I haven't seen the movie, but because they're blindfolded half the damn time, mm. I don't see how that works as a movie. <laughs> but I, I haven't seen it, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't dump on it because I don't understand. It. But in terms of the book, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan. Thanks so much for talking to us, Keith. And uh, yeah, and I do recommend everybody go check out this new book, Signal Decay. It's very Thanks small. So much, everyone. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great questions. Thanks. And uh, yeah, see you later.